What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat, it's 2020. Yeah. It's a new year. Yeah. You reckon if we call Jason Furman, his attitude might have improved? Only one way to find out. Should we call him? Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. Hello, Buffhead. Hey, Cockhead, what are you doing? <laughs> you woke me up, you bastard. Did, we're recording another ad and we thought we'd call you. Just to- <laughs> yeah, you fucking woke me up. You're lucky, all right? Answer this. <laughs> oh, is that one of the reasons you don't like people calling you because you work nights? Yeah, that's like I, I, I try to stay awake until fucking midday, but no, people ring me at like three in the afternoon. Oh, like as if they have lives. Hey, Jace, got any cool stuff for sale through EinswickDogQuip.com? Yeah, if uh, you get on the website, and if you're a balanced trainer, certified balanced trainer, that's NDTF or Bart Bell and Gold School, right. um, you can get up to $40 off. HS products. I see. Is that because you're an ethical good guy and you're trying to outprice people just buying them without knowing what they're doing with them? Pretty much. There are other reasons, but mostly it's that. I'm a, I am an asshole as well. But <laughs> so if people wanted all this kind of dog training equipment. Uh, equipment? Yeah, equipment. Is that a chipmunk with, that has equipment on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, is, is that my new name, Pat? Yeah. You're the equipment. The equipment. <laughs> yeah. Where do they go to check out that? Best bet is einsvec.com, www.einzwec.com. All right. Happy New Year, Buffhead. Glenn, are you eating dog food? I'm not eating dog food. Okay. But people thought I was last time. This is why we're redoing this ad because last time we were doing it, we had people ringing up saying, I'm very confused. It sounds like you're eating dog food. What dog food did people think you were eating? They thought I was eating Bright Spites. Why would people think you were eating it? Well, because on our ad last time, I made a little rustle and you said, Glenn, what are you doing? And I said, I'm enjoying some Bright Bites. Isn't it that the Bright Bites are so healthy and nutritious for a dog that they're amazing to use in training because dogs love the flavor of them. They're actually very good for the dog. Hmm. And they're so delicious that you thought maybe you'd have a little nibble? Well, you could because it's been so well made, as you said, as you pointed out. Kylie Bright uses all the best products that you could possibly think of in her dog treats Mm -hmm. that you could possibly eat them, but they're not recommended for human consumption, but they are great for your dog. Okay. Where would I get these? DogSquadCanineServices.com.au. Did you say DogSquadCanineServices.com.au? I did, sir. Would I spell that canine or spell it out? Canine as in C-A-N-I-N-E, not K-9. Okay. So spell it out, dogsquadcanineservices.com.au. Get yourself some Bright's Bites. Use them to train your dog. Don't have a nibble yourself unless you really want to. Exactly. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook, as well as his wife, our resident naturopath, our health specialist, Narelle Cook. Hey, everyone. Hi. 
Hi. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Right. And today we're talking about a topic that I am passionate about, so I'm really excited. I know, you've been chafing at the bit to get this one out. I know, because it's important. So I posted a month or two ago on the discussion group, I asked the question if people would be interested in learning a bit more about particularly dietary strategies that can just help them feel better, give them more energy, improve their mood, you know, help their sleep, just give them more resilience for dealing with day-to-day, whether it's, you know, dogs and clients and just life in general. So there was a really positive response to that information, to receiving that information. So It's a great topic because if you think of the large-scale picture of it, we're the ones that are putting all the input into the dog. So at the end of the day, if we're feeling lousy and we're feeling not our best self, then it really impacts our workload, our thinking regime, our physical regime. It determines whether or not you actually want to get out there on the field or not. So I I agree. I think it's a very good topic. Yeah. And look, a lot of our listeners, a lot of your listeners might think, oh, you know, talking about diet, my diet's fine. This is not relevant to me, but I'm really going to highlight in this podcast that it is relevant to everyone because, I mean, you've got to think, you know, everything we put in our mouths, like multiple times a day, every day, you know, month after month, year after year, is the foundation for every aspect of our health. So, you know, how we feel is the result of thousands of biochemical processes that are going on in our bodies, you know, day in and day out. And what we need for those processes to work and for us to feel good are nutrients. And we get the nutrients primarily from the food that we eat. For the people who are now listening going, oh, this is a dog podcast. What am I about to hear? Catch them with telling us how bad the average person's health is. Okay, so we're not doing well as a population. So to give you an idea, poor diet is now the leading risk factor for death across middle and high income countries. So these are countries that can afford to buy food and, you know, and good food. It was the number one risk factor for death in men and the second leading risk factor for death in women because their diets are low in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, you know, your good omega-3 fatty acids. Also, across the world, being overweight now kills more people than being underweight. That's staggering. When you told us that off air before, I'm still blown away with that fact. Because we always think of third world countries and how many children and, you know, people are dying of starvation in third world countries. But now overweight and obesity and all those connected diseases are killing more people than in third world countries. It's crazy. Mm. 60% of energy intake, so, you know, calories and kilojoule intake in the US and 40% in Australia comes from what's called ultra processed food products. So these are discretionary food products that are not required for health. So other than tasting good, they're not really doing anything positive for our bodies. They're actually detrimental. So these are foods that are high in sugar saturated fat, salt. It also includes alcohol. So if we average that between the US and Australia, like 50% of what people are consuming is just crap that is working against Is poison. Yeah, basically, because everything- Delicious, delicious. That's the problem, right? That is the problem. And and you and I were talking about some of our vices before we started the show. And one of mine, and Pat would weigh in on this one as well, is milk chocolate. Mm -hmm. You know, Cheap milk chocolate. It's one of those. It's not even chocolate. Well, that's right. It's milk and sugar, basically. Mm. But it's one of those things. I mean, I can fast my diet regularly if I want to. I don't feel the need to have breakfast or anything like that. I can go without a lot of things. I don't need to have alcohol. I don't need to have many things. 
But if there's chocolate in the house, man, it it's like a siren calling to me. And I know how bad it is because you're on my back about it all the time. I'm like, like, give it to me so I can hide it. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, she is. She tries to hide it from me. And she also reminds me about how many teaspoons of sugar are in each block of chocolate I eat, you know, as a guilt trip to remind me how We're going to talk about sugar a bit later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just to really to drive home. Again, how bad we're doing with our diets generally. So the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, they put out reports every few years on the state of the nation and their 2018 report showed that across Australia, less than 1% of the population are meeting the fruit and veg intake guidelines. Mm -hmm. And in their introduction, it states that this suboptimal food and nutrient intake begins from an early age as young as two. So mm -hmm. even our kids... So 99% of children aren't getting enough fruit and veg. I think it's 95% of women and 97% of men. And a bit further on in the podcast, I'm going to talk in more detail about, you know, why that's such a bad thing, like what that's doing to our bodies and our health and how we feel and how we function. So that's Australian data. But if we look at our US friends, you know, 95% of the population are not meeting the minimum vitamin D requirement. And I know I touched on this in a my Patreon mm -hmm. podcast, but I really want to just stress because today is about, you know, what you can do different to feel better and function better day to day and, you know, be more productive at work and better with the dogs and things like that. But if 95% of the US population are not hitting the, the minimum vitamin D requirements, some of the symptoms of that is getting sick often. So, you know, poor immune function, unexplained fatigue, you know, it can manifest as mood disorders, so anxiety, depression, slow wound healing, muscle pain, insomnia, headaches. So, you know, if someone's struggling to get through their day, they're not going to stop and think, oh, maybe I don't have enough vitamin D. Mm -hmm. You know, I better eat some more salmon or an egg or something. No, I better smash this monster energy drink. That's it. <laughs> That's what they're going to do. And calcium, like in the US, 81% of teenage girls are deficient in calcium. And I looked at that stat and I thought, if I posted on a dog raw feeding forum that I had a six-month-old puppy and I knew its diet was 81% deficient in calcium, I would be persecuted like as an irresponsible dog owner, like how dare you, you know, you shouldn't own dogs. That's the worst thing you can do for your dog. But 81% of teenage girls in the US are not meeting minimum calcium requirements and mm. everyone's like, oh, you know, they look fine. <laughs> but, you know, 50 years down the track when they're breaking their bones. Got osteoporosis. Yeah, so people need to be aware that a deficiency is not, always immediately obvious. It's usually not. Yeah. I mean, iron deficiency is still the most common nutrient deficiency in Australian uh, women and children. So again, you know, fatigue, it can manifest as irritability, just being, you know, generally crankier than generally, poor concentration, you know, inability to focus, which again, when you're trying to run a business or, you know. Just live, just in general, just live, just, just, get, through, just get through the day. Yeah. You know, not, so just, you know, not having enough iron can really, you know, throw someone under the bus in terms of functionality and, and just coping from day to day. On a side note, based on what Pat was talking about before with smashing out a monster drink, it's an interesting thing that your conversation on diet and your comments before, Narelle and Pat, I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've seen when I've over the years when I've gone out to dog shows or dog gatherings and things like that is exactly that, that people are living off like pies and fast food and energy drinks and so forth. Like it's going on all day and they're you know, that's one of the echoes that I hear people talking about is, you know, I don't feel so good. My stomach's like gurgling all the time. There's no surprise to that. I mean, basically, you're just filling your body up with Drano. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of those drinks are, you know, although they make you feel good temporarily, they are just like Drano on your body. 
I went to a party once. This is going back several years ago. I drank so many Red Bulls, I ended up on a drip in hospital. <laughs> yeah, it can kill you with cardiac yeah. arrest and yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was I was just smashing out Red Bulls. I had no idea how bad they were for you, but my heart rate went through the roof. Yeah, I was completely dehydrated, and uh, they had to put three bags of fluid through me. Yeah, yeah. I was in a really, really bad way. Yeah, had to be driven straight to hospital and straight on a drip. But you Crazy. ask the average person and they will say that their diet's fine. I'll say, yeah, you know, I eat a bit of, you know, rubbishy foods here and there. But I eat the garnish on the side. Yeah. That, what garnish? It. So, the garnish on the side when they buy it. Oh, yeah. It. <laughs> it's like it's well known that people always overestimate their movement and activity and exercise and mm. they always underestimate how many calories or kilojoules they're consuming. So, And then, you know, whenever I ask people, because I see, I've mentioned this to every client I see, for the initial consult, I get a seven-day food diary and everyone thinks their diet's fine. And then I, you know, I look at it and go, it's not. there's a lot of work that needs to be done if you want to feel better. So the other factor that people need to keep in mind, because making good dietary choices, initially you've got to make a conscious effort and a decision. It doesn't come naturally for a lot of people to, you know, choose a wide variety of healthier foods. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when I'm working with clients in clinic, depending on what they're presenting with, I'm thinking, are their cells getting what they need? So we need to make sure that at a cellular level, we're consuming the nutrients because we, we only feel as good as our cells are functioning. So to take people back to their high school biology, you know, the citric acid cycle or the Krebs cycle, it's known as as well, oxidative phosphorylation. So they're the processes in our body that makes ATP, which adenosine triphosphate, which is our energy unit. So if our cells can't make ATP, you know, you're going to feel tired. And to do that, you need your B vitamins, your magnesium, uh, your coenzyme Q10. But, you know, three quarters of the population in the US and Australia are deficient in magnesium. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have those fundamental nutrients because you're not consuming foods that have them, you're going to struggle. Like it's going to be an uphill battle to feel good day to day and to cope with life stresses. And the irony is when we're stressed, our bodies actually burn through nutrients faster. So you need better nutrition the more stressed you are. So it's like a bit of a self-licking lollipop a little bit, right? Like you need it. The fact that you don't have these nutrients will create stress and that will burn the small amounts that you do have yep. faster and put you into a cycle of, uh, of shitty yeah. eating, feeling yep. bad. Yep. It may not just manifest as you know, low energy and fatigue and tiredness. It might be poor skin, it could be hormonal conditions, it could be headaches, just being more irritable and impatient and intolerant of just, you know, what's going on around you. So, yeah, it, you know, for different people, nutrient deficiencies and poor diets can can come up in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, so what I thought I would do is just take a few key dietary factors and just work through them one by one and just what people can do differently and what the consequence of not doing it perhaps is. So Glenn's going to laugh at the first area I want to talk about because it doesn't matter what he complains of or what he's suffering from or what pain. He could probably come to me with a broken arm. And what's the first thing I'm going to ask you? Have you drank enough water today? Yes. So (laughs) 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 because it sounds so silly and so basic, but most people, again, from what I see from dozens and dozens of food diaries and talking to clients is most people are just not drinking um, enough water on a daily basis. So you've got to think our bodies. 
And energy drinks don't contribute to your water intake. No. Or coffees or anything like that because they're diuretics and you piss it out faster than you take it in. I mean, and it's not that people have to drink pure water. There are other options. But, you know, our body is about 60% water. Our brains are about 75% water. Our muscles are 80% water. So if you're not drinking enough, so if Glenn's ever got a headache, I'm always like, have you had enough water to drink today? I mean, and he's always like, probably not. Well, fundamentally, I haven't drunk enough water. I mean, that's one thing, unless I actively monitor it. I mean, there are apps and things like that that can bug you and remind you now to go and drink more water. And, you know, maybe people who fall into that category of not being reminded enough need to do things like that, because it certainly is something that I'm chronically guilty of not doing enough. And as you've said to me before many times, if you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Mm. So... We need water to absorb nutrients and transport nutrients around the body. We need water to get metabolic waste products and toxins out of the cells and out of the body. So if you're not drinking enough for these processes to happen, you know, you're going to potentially have poor immune function and just feel crap and just tired. If our brains don't get enough hydration, poor focus, poor concentration, impaired short-term and long-term memory. And something I actually see a lot of, you'd be surprised how many people have issues with constipation just to... Mm-hmm. put it out there and a lot of and you'd be surprised too that a lot of people don't connect it with hydration mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing how that works there's elements of that in the army that if you <laughs> just to sort of army stories are always good well no but just to explain like your colon makes the last ditch effort of sucking water that's needed mm. out of and so like you, if you are constipated it can be because your colon has sucked all the moisture out of your turds <laughs> and then <laughs> if someone is dehydrated and you don't have an IV that like one of the yeah. quickest because sometimes people will be unconscious or whatever is to stick the camel back up their ass <laughs> that's a real thing that's hysterical because I explain really? that yeah. concept to clients in clinic but I've never heard it expressed <laughs> yeah <that way. laughs> camel back up <laughs> no but just the longer the stool sits in the colon the colon does reabsorb moisture from the stool, so it dries out even more, so it makes mm-hmm. people even more constipated. But it also gives the body the opportunity to reabsorb, again, waste products and toxins back into the body. So yeah. people who are struggling with cholesterol issues, like high cholesterol, that gets reabsorbed. Estrogen can get reabsorbed. So women who are suffering from a lot of PMS, that can be contributing to that. So That sounds like a dangerous conversation for a woman that's suffering from PMS when you say, you need to go to the toilet more often. I say it <laughs> sounds, every week. It sounds like something no one should say out loud ever. <laughs> well, it's, to feel safe. It's a weekly discussion in my clinic. But again, you know, for women, if, well, it, you know, that excess estrogen, if you're constipated, can lead to weight gain, fatigue, low libido, depression, you know, brain fog. There's lots of side effects to being constipated people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so drink your water. And it's not that water is the only thing, but it's a huge a huge part of it. What's the stats on that? So I try myself to drink four liters a day plus a liter for every hour of exercise. So sometimes it's an extra liter. The general guidelines, there actually have never been hard and fast scientific studies on how much water should be consumed, but a general guideline is 30 mil per kilogram of body weight. Okay. You know, a 60 kilo person, it's about 1.8 liters as a minimum. Anything that causes you to sweat more or exercise, you know, you need to increase that, but that's Mm -hmm. your baseline minimum. So I've been told outside of you that it's usually safe to go on one litre per 25 kilos of body weight. I can't do the mental math quickly (laughs) to what that goes back to. That's just what I've been told. Mm. So people don't want to just suddenly go out and start guzzling buckets of water. Mm -hmm. 
because that it, which is dangerous also, right? It, I mean, too much water is is dangerous because it dilutes your um, electrolytes, and that can be fatal if you do it in excess. But well, um, just just to jump on that quickly, there was a lady who was doing the Kokoda Trail, and she just dropped dead. And when they took her back and autopsied her, they found out one of the reasons why she dropped dead, according to the online story, was that she overhydrated, drank way too much water. I've mm. seen that. I've yep. not seen people drop dead, but I've seen people get very, very sick from overhydrating, especially yep. like mm. when you do extremely strenuous activities. Yep. A friend of mine, actually, you do, at the end of the School of Infantry, do this sort of three-day exercise, and the culmination is this hugely stressful, like, full day, full activity. Yep. And then the end of it, you're sitting around cleaning all your gear, and he was uh, sitting in the breezeway and realized that he had, like, pissed himself and was like, what's happening here? Like, and- then suddenly get lightheaded and passed out. And he had turned out he'd drunk like eight liters of water mm. in probably, you know, an hour or something like that. And it just Gosh. completely flushed himself basically. So that's, yeah. we talk about flooding in dog training. Well, that's literally, in, yeah. yeah, that's like literally flooding yourself. But yeah. And you see that happen, especially after extremely strenuous activities where people are like, Oh, I should be drinking water. And then maybe mm. because they're so fatigued from what they've done, they just kind of overdo it Throw without it sort of monitoring what they're actually doing. And straight water is not great either, right? Like you need the electrolyte replacement. Yeah. So a lot of people are reluctant to increase water intake because they always go, oh, I don't want to piss all the time. You know, I'm always yeah. going to the bathroom. It's inconvenient. And if you're out training dogs, it is inconvenient, mm-hmm. um, more so for women. So if you just sip on water throughout the day, your body is better able to absorb and use that water. But if you drink, you know, if you throw back a couple of glasses at once, that overwhelms the kidney's capacity and you are just going to, you know, be going to the bathroom. Yeah. And the best way to get your body to adapt is just to increase your water intake gradually over a few weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's always one of the first things I do with clients. Um, I'll say, okay, for the next month, this is your water program. Tomorrow you're going to start with one extra glass. Mm-hmm. And the best way is to do that first thing in the morning. As soon as you get up, have a glass of water and there's your extra glass mm-hmm. for the day. I know this is kind of a silly one, but my advice on that is uh, carrying a water bottle and getting mm-hmm. a fancy water bottle. Yeah. And like I certainly know for myself a lot of like drinking the right amount of water is hugely benefit to especially to recovery. With it's one of the mm. things I've noticed with this whoop band is when I get the water right, it's it's there. And especially when I'm traveling, like you know, dehydrate on a plane mm. and that sort of thing. So I find, you know, carrying around I've got my Yeti bottle with my canine paradigm sticker on it. You know what I mean? It's like but carrying around that everywhere and just kind of almost in your moments of boredom, just taking a sip. Mm. And so you're constantly sort of ticking over. That that's been a big difference for me, getting a decent water bottle that you're happy to carry around with you and make it part of your, you know, your crap that you take everywhere. This is yeah. this is just something that comes out everywhere with me. Yep, no, perfect tip. So I still want to be sponsored by Yeti, so you know, I've I've mentioned you guys a couple of times now. Yeah, come on, get on board. <laughs> okay, so let's that's water done. But really like fundamental, if you do nothing else from this podcast, try and increase your water intake. Mm-hmm. So the next area I want to talk about is just highly processed carbohydrate and sugary diets, because that's probably one of the biggest impacts on how we feel day to day. And um, you know, we're having a conversation about this. Not long ago, um, Pat and I. So if we look at what a typical, this is, you know, huge generalization, but if we look at what a typical person might have across their day in terms of diet, so most people would start with a bowl of cereal for breakfast or some toast, a glass of fruit juice, morning tea might be biscuits, muffin, you know, a muesli bar, another coffee with sugar or some creamer. Lunch could be burgers, fries, you know, noodles. Then afternoon comes and there's a slump. So there's, you know, soft drink, there's chocolate, there's, you know, more coffee with sugar. And then dinner, pasta, pizza, rice, you know, potato, fries, bread rolls, soft drink, alcohol. What a day. 
So across the day. Sounds amazing to me. (laughs) What a roller coaster. So when people are consuming a diet that's so high in refined carbohydrates, even if it's not like obvious sugary, you know, chocolate and lollies and ice cream and things like that, that quickly gets converted to glucose in the body. And so you get a massive spike in blood glucose and that's a dangerous state for the body to be in. So the body responds by releasing an amount of insulin that's proportionate to the glucose spike. And that acts to bring the glucose out of the blood and back into the cells, which is safe. But what happens is blood glucose levels don't tend to go back to where they were at the beginning. They actually go lower Mm. than the previous state. And that's considered a threat to the body as well. So that's a dangerous state for the body to be in, even though most people won't go into what's called a medical like hypoglycemic state. It's just that sudden rise and fall can have a huge impact on how people feel. So, you know, the brain is 100% relied on glucose. And after one to two hours of a, you know, a high carb meal, brain blood glucose levels can start to fall and that freaks out the brain. So the brain's like, you know, I don't have enough glucose to survive. I don't have enough blood glucose to deal with, you know, the hundreds of emails, the peak out traffic, you know, the kids, the dog, you know, to cook dinner. So it responds by producing adrenaline. So that's the body's mechanism to get some more glucose into the blood, which makes the body and the brain happy again. But that stress response, so that adrenaline release puts you in a sympathetic nervous system dominant state. And that's perceived by the body as a stress fight Mm -hmm. or flight state. So you may not perceive yourself as being stressed, but internally you are. Mm -hmm. And even that adrenaline release, you know, that spike in glucose, that drop in glucose, that can send even the most rational people into like poor concentration, poor focus, poor emotional regulation. So, you know, increased irritability, more prone to anger and anxiety, reduced ability to deal with stress because, you know, it's a primitive position to be in. So it was actually just to drive home how much our blood glucose or particularly low blood glucose can impact how we think. There was a study done probably close to 10 years ago now, and it was researchers at a university in Israel and Columbia University, and they examined more than a thousand decisions by eight judges who were ruling on convicts' parole requests. What they found in the study is immediately after a meal, 65% of parole applicants were passed on to the next stage for consideration of parole. But immediately before a meal, so you can imagine it's getting to the end of the morning session, it's just before lunch, 0% of applicants (laughs) were considered for parole. But then immediately after the food break, it went back up to 65% again. Geez, you'd want to make sure you're on the after lunch list, wouldn't you? But not too long after lunch when the (laughs) the afternoon sleepies kicks in. That's it. So what they were saying is, you know, how our decision-making ability can be really significantly impacted by blood glucose levels. So Mm. people really underestimate it. Like I know the work I do, particularly my research work, it's a lot of intense, like for eight hours, I'm intensely concentrating and trying to focus on on what I'm doing. And I know when my blood glucose is dipping because I can't. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, Glenn starts shoving food in my mouth. Like We have a standard rule in the house. Like if we're going out for several hours, I always make sure Narelle's got a snack in her bag. Yeah. Always. Because if we go out and it's two hours and she hasn't had something to eat, immediately she gets a depletion in her mood. 
I like to think it's because, you know, the brain uses so much blood glucose and I'm thinking so much that I use it up quicker than than you, for example. (laughs) Oh, snap. (laughs) Well, you don't consume as as much food as I do either. I don't know. I eat eat six times a day. You eat a couple of times a day, maybe. Two to three. But But I snack a lot too. Yeah. And I want to highlight, like when we're talking about carbs, like carbs equals sugar. So I need people to think, whenever you think carbs, think sugar, because carbs are always converted into, you know, glucose or, you know, basic monosaccharides in the body. And so that's not even people who are adding sugar into their, you know, their Mm -hmm. coffee or they're having chocolate and things like that. But the general recommendation for health is that women consume no more than six teaspoons of sugar a day, like added sugar, because the sugar in fruit, because of got all the fiber around it yep. it's slower to be absorbed by the body so less of an impact on on blood glucose and for men it's nine teaspoons which is why I'm, every time glenn's got something in his like buy something to eat i'm like i'm looking at the nutritional panel going you know this has got six teaspoons of sugar in it mm-hmm. um <laughs> but a flavored so someone might be like okay i'm gonna eat healthy i'm gonna have a tub of yogurt for morning tea a flavoured tub of yogurt can have seven teaspoons of sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, a can of Coke or a soda can have over 11 teaspoons. But get this, and this is Australian data. I'm sure it's the same in the States. A large Hungry Jack's frozen Coke contains 21 teaspoons. Delicious. And an extra large <laughs> contains up to 30 teaspoons of sugar. Delicious. Okay. Narelle and I were in the city once and we, were, we went to an appointment somewhere and we came out and we were both hungry, so I went into a shop and I bought one of those flavoured iced coffees. Uh-huh. And, okay. um, like, I've taken the top off it. I'm starting to drink, and Narelle's gone, can you give that to me for a second? So I've handed it over to her, and she goes, okay, you can only have half of that, and then you've got to throw <laughs> the rest of away because that's got, like, 24 spoonfuls of sugar in it. Wow. It was crazy. And, look, I'm a bit more aware of it <laughs> than the average person. Like, I'm actually looking at the labels. But it just highlights that, you know, I mean, I remember growing up, you know, in Australia in summer, middle of summer when it's 40 plus degrees, so over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, going to the service station and getting the giant slushies. Yeah. Yeah, the slurfies. And, I, you know, you don't think twice about it. I cringe now at the things I used to do as a child. Yeah, well, I used to smash a litre of Coke. Like, a litre of cola? Yeah, a litre of cola. A litre yeah. of cola. Yeah. Easy. Easy. It was just one of the things that you did. You'd go to the fridge, there was Sprite, Coke, the whole lot was sitting in the fridge and you just whack it down. Even big tubs of orange juice because you think, oh, I'll go the healthy option. Yeah, orange I'll juice, go yeah. the orange juice and it's all that reconstituted mm. sugar-flavoured orange juice and you just you whale it down. And no wonder people are struggling to get through their day, you know, with these roller coasters of glucose and insulin and things going on in the body. But to really highlight the impact it can have, I had a client years ago suffering from severe anxiety and panic attacks and all we did was take out the one to two litres of Coke mm. that was being drunk every day. And it was like a miracle. But that was it. And people might think, well, that's obvious. But no, to the average person, they don't necessarily join the dots. Especially when you consider, when they consider, that person considers that that's part of their daily hydration technique is to mm. drink that bottle of Coke. And I was certainly guilty of that. You know, like I used to think, I'm taking my fluid intake, I'm drinking a bottle of Coke. It's got water in it. To help motivate people to make better choices and to add less sugar to their diet, as long as your body is releasing insulin to counteract that glucose spike that's happening, you're not going to burn fat. So insulin is our fat storage hormone. So if anyone is out there that wants to lose some weight, 
you need to stabilize your blood glucose levels so you stabilize your insulin response and then you might have a chance at losing some weight. I love the Black Death. Coke is so good. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I recommend there's no reason to add sugar to the diet in terms of like teaspoons of sugar in drinks. I think that's just unnecessary. People will need to wean themselves off doing that. So it doesn't have to be done overnight unless you're someone like Pat that just likes to snap his fingers and like black and white, all or nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, today this is what's going to happen. But for anyone else, you can do it gradually (laughs) and get your body back. All right, so that's carbs and sugar. Let's move on to protein. Hey, can I ask you a question? Like fake sugars. Mm. Is so it stevias and Yeah, like we'll say like so the Black Death, right? Mm. I, I love Coke. I know how bad it is for me. I, I try to even only have like one can of even the fake Coke, like no sugar Coke once yeah. a week, right? Like that's what I try to limit myself to. And I'm usually pretty good at that. But I've heard that it's pretty much as bad for you. Uh, I think it's worse. Yeah, right. So I often have clients that drink diet sodas, diet soft drink, and they're really struggling to give up that addiction. And Mm. I say, okay, I want you to 100%, you know, if you're going to have soft drink, have a regular soft drink. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Um, But out of diet soft drink and regular soft drink, regular is, I want to say better for your health. Neither are good for you. Mm -hmm. Like be clear about that. But there's so many studies to show the adverse health effects of artificial sweeteners on the body and the microbiome, you know, on our metabolic states and, you know, mood and things like that. So, no. Okay. So, stevia is fine. Rel says. Xylitol. Smash the black fine. death. But avoid diet soft drinks. I couldn't tell you the last time I've had a Coke. Yeah. Or any even a Coke mixer. Oh, my job here is done. Yeah, I, can, <laughs> I cannot. I cannot recall... The last time I've had it, I haven't touched Coke in probably over five years. Yeah, right. Mm. And people have a lot of options now. Like you've got your kombuchas and your kefirs. If they want something carbonated and fizzy, you've got coconut water. You know, it doesn't have to be Coke. It doesn't have to be water. You know, there are different options now Mm -hmm. that people can get hydrated in a more healthy way. Or just drink water. Yeah, fundamentally just drink water. So if we look at protein – Again, my, most people might think, oh, this is a no-brainer. You know, I eat plenty of protein. But carbs is usually the predominant macronutrient in most people's diets. So protein, I mean, it contains all the amino acids that are the building blocks for our neurotransmitters. So if we're just looking at from the perspective of, you know, how we're feeling and our mood and our motivation to get out and do our jobs, like that's fundamental. So having enough protein is going to influence how we think and feel. And low-protein diets have been shown to contribute toward depression, anxiety, you know, poor concentration, fatigue, irritability. It also helps to stabilise our blood glucose levels. So mm. I am not anti-carb at all. I don't actually adhere to any particular dietary regime, but I have carbs every day. Like one of my favourite meals is avocado and salmon on whole grain bread, but I don't just have carbs. You know, I have the fats and the proteins with it to, you know, to keep everything stable, keep my mood stable keep my marriage happy because my, <laughs> because my mood's stable. And it's almost a no-brainer for any clients that come to see me with mood disorders is I ask them, it's not forever, but I ask them for at least for a few weeks to eat protein every three hours, like mm-hmm. some form of protein every three hours, just to stabilize their cravings, their appetite, their mental clarity, their mood, their energy, their sleep. Our amino acids are precursors to serotonin, Mm -hmm. which is a precursor to melatonin. So if you're not getting enough protein, you may not be sleeping. 
as well. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. I see a lot of women particularly who, you know, go on crash diets to lose weight and they compromise their muscle mass mm-hmm. because they're not getting enough protein. So their body, you know, will start to use you know, muscle protein to keep things going the way they need to. But not only does that slow down your metabolism and counterproductive mm-hmm. in terms of weight loss, but muscle mass is fundamental for the body to produce a compound called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So you'll often see it in the literature as BDNF. And BDNF contributes positively towards memory, you know, learning, the ability to think clearly. Um, we need it to for our neurons to survive. We need it to make new neurons. It has an antidepressant function and, you know, over the longer term can reduce the risk of neurodegenerative diseases. So again, coming back to how we feel day to day, this is a just one piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. To feel better. Something that I've noticed myself in my own fitness journeys, which is can be can be on really hard and off really hard as well, is concentrating on building muscle mass is a lot easier to do and better for me than trying to cut fat. And it has the same effect, like the fat goes. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I sometimes it's, when I talk about this, see people explain like just building that bigger motor, like the, the, more, mm. the more fat that you cut, the more muscle that you don't have, the less you can eat. So everybody loves to eat delicious food. Mm. And I'm not saying you can out train a bad diet, but the more muscle you put on, the more you get to eat. And the more leeway you've got and yeah, flexibility. That's you, true. And if you if you love to just smash food and go crazy with it, like I do, uh, the more muscle you can carry around, the the more food you get to eat. And you don't have to worry about like, oh, I'm trying to cut fat. Just build muscle and the fat will go. Typically, not always. Well, generally when you see bodybuilders getting around, they're usually toting a little esky with them. Like yeah. they've got all their potatoes and all their rices and foods and Well, that's chicken. right. Like people are afraid to eat. Again, you know, a lot of women, because that's probably the bulk of my clientele, you know, are afraid to eat because they think they're going to gain weight. But if you do look at bodybuilders, like they're eating yeah, protein. It's not easy. And, you know, some veg every few hours and that's yeah. what they need to maintain their muscle mass. So you're doing a disservice if you're not consuming enough protein on a regular basis. Hey, have you ever heard of the potato hack? No. <laughs> <laughs> Stand by for a crazy diet. So for people who overeat, a way to avoid that, they call it the potato hack, right? So you only eat potatoes. If you Google this, this will come oh up. Oh, my goodness. And so all you eat is either like baked or boiled or however you want to cook them, mm. plain potatoes. That's it. And you're not allowed to salt it. You're not allowed to do anything. And it's not a long-term diet, but <laughs> you will not eat one more mouthful of that than is actually necessary. I think they've been watching The Martian with Matt Damon. Yeah, where you see it, yeah. <laughs> but so the, the the goal, the idea of it is to sort of show you how little food you actually need to take in mm. and to sort of indicate like when you're full, like to teach people the idea of the feeling of being full yeah. because it's not, it doesn't taste good at all. And mm. like it tastes like nothing basically, right? So you just won't eat it. You won't binge on it. It's not delicious. You, you can't put salt on it. You can't do anything, right? You just eat that potato. But then also you cook your sort of week's worth of potatoes in one go and then you heat and cool. So you heat the whole thing again, eat as much as you want let it cool, heat the whole thing again and let it cool. And what happens with the potato when you do that is it, it completely changes the starches mm. uh, and it becomes like an amazing uh, microbiome fuel. Resistant starch, yeah. Yeah, and it, it actually is the way that the glucose will be made like changes completely. I won't sort of explain it and get it wrong. But, but no, you're um, spot on. It's a 
cold potatoes is actually a healthy option. Yeah. Plain and it, cold and it, potato. And it gets better every time it's heated and cooled. It's yeah. not like, you know, meat when once you, you reheat it, that's it. It's done. Mm. you got to eat it. But, yeah, it's called a potato hack. I've done it. I did it for a little oh while. Oh, gosh. Of course uh, you have. Yeah, just to see. Why not? But it's interesting because you will, like I say, you will not eat one extra mouthful than what you need. Like yeah. you're like, okay, I have had my sustenance. <laughs> I'm done. And do that for a few days in a row. Oof. Okay. Well, that's a good segue onto fruit and veg. Um, <laughs> you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, in Australia anyway, over 95% of the population are not eating enough fruit and vegetables every day. And again, for all those biochemical processes in our body to work, we need nutrients, we need vitamins and minerals. And we predominantly get those from our fruits and our vegetables. So in terms of physical health and mental health, there was a study done, and I'm going to mention this mainly because of the title of the study, but it's still relevant. There was a study done in the UK and they surveyed tens of thousands of people about their dietary intake. And they found a clear correlation between as fruit and vegetable intake increased, depression decreased. Mm -hmm. But the name of the study, the title of the study was Let Us Be Happy but not lettuce, <laughs> like lettuce, the vegetable. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I laughed. It's such a nerdy thing, but I thought it was so so witty. Shameless plug for my family business. My family, my parents, my sister, the whole family almost has worked in it at some point is an organic fruit and vegetables business, home delivery in Sydney, and mm -hmm. it's called Lettuce Deliver. Oh, yeah. why did I not know that? You didn't know that? Oh, oh, yeah. I knew it. I didn't so, know yeah. the name. Lettuce Deliver, it's called. Yeah. I think that's really smart. It is very clever. You can look them up online, lettucedeliver.com, probably .au. You I could, will. I'll use could, them for my clients yeah, as a people, referral. People listening in Australia, could, in Sydney anyway, could definitely get a delivery of organic fruit and vegetables delivered right to their home. Lettuce Deliver. Have you got a, <laughs> have you got a t shirt with a mushroom on it saying I'm a real fun guy? <laughs> <laughs> no. But their logo also is amazing as well. It's a lettuce dragging a cart of fruit and vegetables. Nice. Very What's their website? How do they mm -hmm. find it? Uh, I think it's just lettucedeliver.com, probably .au. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. So beyond the amazing array of nutrients like vitamins, minerals, fruits and vegetables give us all our antioxidants and our anti-inflammatory compounds, but it's also fundamental for fibre. So these days, most people would struggle, most adults would struggle to consume 20 grams of fibre a day. Mm -hmm. The guidelines, I think it's around 25 grams for women, 35 grams a day for men. Traditional societies would consume up to 100 grams of fiber a day. Again, that goes back to not enough fiber, constipation plays in and the recirculation of toxins. But we need fiber to feed our microbiome. So a good balance of good bacteria in the gut reduces inflammation, reduces the likelihood of you know, bloating, gas, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease. So if you're a dog trainer and you've got to be out all day, you don't want to be worrying where the nearest toilet is. Mm -hmm because you've got gut issues. Having a healthy microbiome has been associated with body weight. So if you've got good bacteria, you're less likely to be overweight. Our bacteria make nutrients, fundamental for our immune system. And there's been a lot of studies to connect certain populations of different bacteria with mood. And it's the same in dogs. There's a few studies now that show, you know, aggressive dogs and anxious dogs have a different makeup of bacteria in their guts. And it's the same with humans as well. So the goal I often give to my clients is to aim for 30 different plant foods a week. Wow. So that includes fruits, veggies, nuts, seeds, you know, your legumes, your, your grains. Um, so that could be a good, you know, challenge for people just to sit down for five minutes and see if you can just write down every plant food that you would eat in a typical week mm -hmm. and to see where you sit on that scale. 30 is a lot. Well, it shouldn't be. 
Like even the five. But people tend to kind of fall into, you know, even people who eat really healthy, you like these are the 12 foods that I eat. It know? is, yeah. With a lot of the food diaries I see, they'll do Monday, then Tuesday is same as Monday. Like they'll just write same as the day before, same as the day before, and then they'll get to Saturday and they might eat something different. But, mm. but you know, breakfast and lunch and people are just creatures of habit because it's easy and we're busy and, mm. you know, it's just what we do. You know, we just so what's in the cupboards, what's in the fridge. Yeah. I mean, people understand fruit and veg are important, but like it really is, you know, when only 5% of us are getting enough fruit and veg, you know, people need to really stop and think about what they're eating and, and where they can do things a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Another area where we're falling down that could absolutely impact how we're feeling day to day is, you know, good quality omega-3 fats in our diet. And, you know, they're not super easy to come by because they tend to be in like our fatty fish, like our salmon and our sardines and our mackerel eggs, things like that. So foods that people tend not to eat a lot of, you can get your omega-3s from nuts and seeds, but they don't get converted very well to those compounds that have a health effect Mm -hmm. in the body. So That's the issue of bioavailability, right? Absolutely. And if you think about it, every single cell in our body is surrounded by a a lipid membrane, so a fatty membrane. Um, And the brain is predominantly fat. So if you're not consuming good fats, you're going to compromise the integrity and the functionality of your cellular membrane. So, you know, again, it's about getting nutrients into the cells and toxins out. It's about cells being able to communicate with each other. And if that's not working, you know, it could affect neurotransmitter and mood, everything. Like when, mm-hmm. when your cells are affected, everything in terms of how you feel is affected. So uh, omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. And, you know, if we're talking about motivation, inflammatory compounds have been shown to decrease the release of dopamine and reduce the activation of that reward, you know, effect. And there was a study that showed that inflammation-induced decreases in that responsiveness to positive reward are also associated with increased sensitivity to aversive stimuli. So it's like, you know, you're less responsive to reward. So, you know, you're not as motivated to work as hard, but then you're also more reactive to the little things and, you know, aversive stimuli. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at us or our dogs, you know, that's not a great place to be. And that's just due to inflammation and inflammation is part of, you know, our good fats, getting good fats in to avoid that. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's lots and lots of studies. I won't go through them all that show, you know, strong connection with omega-3 fatty acids and, and mood in particular plays a huge role in our dogs. So dogs with lower levels of DHA, which is one of the omega-3 fatty acid compounds have been shown to be more aggressive. Puppies, you know, having adequate DHA from omega-3 fatty acids, absolutely critical for cognition and learning and trainability. Mm -hmm. So I talk about that in my guide on the role of nutrition in Mm -hmm. canine behavior. If people want to read a bit more about that, that's available on my website. And, you know, these ultra processed diets that, you know, up to 60% of people are consuming are really high in omega-6 fatty acids, which are pro-inflammatory and work against health, and they're just not consuming, you know, we're not consuming, our dogs tend to not consume enough of the good omega-3 anti-inflammatory fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So get some salmon in you, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Do you eat salmon cooked or raw? Cooked. Yeah. But even on salmon, I went to a conference last year or the year before, and it was all about environmental toxicities, and most of the speakers who are experts in their field said that salmon was one of the most toxic, like farmed salmon is mm-hmm. one of the most toxic foods on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of naturopaths that deal with fertility will tell people not to eat anything that comes out of the ocean. 
because of how toxic wow. our waters are. Have they got evidence to support that? There's a lot of good evidence. I don't have it here with me today, mm. but over the years I've read a lot about how bad farm salmon is and it's not always easy to find wild salmon. Why is that? Is that just because of the pellet diet or the diet that they're predominantly fed on? And It's the diet. It's very grainy. Yep. It's like, you know, any sort of commercial livestock sort of production system, a lot mm-hmm. of cheap grains, a lot of antibiotics. Um, I don't know, you know, it well enough to probably do it justice, but they're so densely populated, you know, the waters in terms of the cleanliness of the waters that they're in, any antibiotics, even the colour. I can't remember where the colour, whether it's something they put in the food, but like the flesh of farm salmon is that colour because of something artificial that's yeah, right. being put in their diet. Mm. Um, Heading back to that, I know in an earlier episode at one stage you were talking about the reduction of nutrient in our fruit and vegetables now. Like you were saying mm. that it's significantly lower than what it ever had been. Yeah. So when you're talking about an inadequate diet in fruit and vegetables and we're already at a depleted amount of nutrient that's available in those fruit and vegetables, I mean, that's a double whammy already. Or it triple is. whammy probably. Which just stresses that you need to eat even more fruit and veg than you think you need to eat. And look, and this is why I think there is a real role for targeted supplementation in most people's day-to-day regime. So I eat well. I'm really conscious of, you know, trying to get a variety of different foods over time and, you know, half my plate's always overflowing with green vegetables every night. But I still take, you know, magnesium Mm -hmm. and my B vitamins because, you know, I'm stressed and I just find I feel better supported when I do take certain supplements. So can I ask you a question on that? There's people that get on mainstream media and just say that all of these vitamins and minerals that you buy or consume are just expensive urine. Some are. You know, there's a huge spectrum in terms of quality Mm -hmm. of supplements. And, you know, it's like I recommend to a lot of my clients to take an omega-3 fish oil supplement because they're they're not getting it from any aspect of their diet. But if you buy a cheap fish oil, it's actually going to be – yeah, I think we. It's talk- going to work against health. Yeah, um, we spoke about this as probably oh, rancid right. by the time you get through it, and, and heavy metal yeah. contamination, yeah. things like that. So depends on the form of the vitamin and mineral. So they're different forms that are, have greater bioavailability. Um, other forms that just pass through the body is like a laxative effect sort of thing. So people need to just be smart and do their research. And if they're not sure, talk to someone like me, who you know that's what I do for a living. I, it's my job to know what works, what doesn't, and what's effective, what's not, and what's cheap and going to come out in your poo and wee and what's actually going to be taken up by your cells and, you know, make you feel better. What's the best uh, just like over-the-counter multivitamin that people can just buy without having to go somewhere special? In terms of retail over-the-counter, I'm probably a bit out of touch because I deal pretty much primarily with practitioner-only supplement brands. So I know those ranges intimately. But one that you should be able to get that is practitioner that you can get in retail if you speak to someone and it'll be behind the counter for Australians, it's Eagle. They do a multivitamin called Tresos Activated B Plus, Plus Selenium. So that's got activated B vitamins, which have a better effect basically in the body. Okay. So that's a good one. For the US people, anything by Metagenics would probably be a safe bet. Okay. Um, I don't know all the brands in the US, but people can message me if they're, you know, if they want to get started and I can get them onto something. Cool. The next thing I want to talk about, which is not like a food category as such, but it's fundamental to how people may be feeling day to day, is our livers. So, you know, we need most of our organs to live. You know, we need our brains, we need our hearts. 
But when it comes to health, it's my opinion anyway, that the liver is the heart of the body in terms of how we feel every day. So everything you consume goes through the liver, is processed by the liver. Your liver is the most overworked organ. Well, it may not be the most overworked organ, but your liver is busy 24-7 dealing with all these ultra-processed foods and everything that you're putting in your mouth. So if your liver is not functioning optimally, that could come out as mood swings. Fatigue is huge if your liver is struggling. Headaches is a big one. Weight issues, thyroid issues, even muscle aches and pains and that dysregulated blood glucose response can all in some way be tied back to like a poorly functioning liver. And, you know, we were talking about fasting before and I want to bring that back in to the liver discussion because your liver has two key detoxification pathways. So you've Mm -hmm. got phase one and phase two detoxification. So I want the listeners to try and imagine phase one is a single conveyor belt that takes harmful compounds that have been generated in the body or consumed in the body. So it could be, you know, metabolic waste products or, you know, alcohol or drugs or just anything that's harmful and needs to be eliminated. So it gets put on the phase one single conveyor belt and it gets tweaked in a way that needs certain nutrients like your B vitamins, magnesium, some amino acids to be able to tweak it. And then it gets to like the end of that conveyor belt. It's like a central junction. At that central junction, imagine you've now got six conveyor belts leaving and that's phase two detoxification. When those compounds get to that junction, if you don't have adequate protein in your diet to get you know amino acids or, or your body again will break down muscle to get them if it needs to, those six phase two conveyor belts won't function properly. And the different conveyor belts, the different pathways deal with different toxins. So one pathway might be responsible for clearing alcohol from the body. Another one might do heavy metals. Another one might do antibiotics, you know, Another one might be hormones. So all these six pathways or conveyor belts take those intermediate compounds from the end of the phase one conveyor belt and change them again. But to change them, they add an amino acid to make it water-soluble so it can be excreted from the body safely through urine and feces. Mm-hmm. So phase two conveyor belts won't work well if you're not having enough protein. And phase one won't work well if you're not getting enough B vitamins, magnesium and protein as well. If your phase one is working well, but your phase two is sluggish because you're not consuming enough protein, let's say you're doing a seven-day water fast, you're going to get a buildup of all those products coming down that phase one convey about to that central junction. Mm -hmm. And that's a really dangerous, they're even more toxic at that point. So they're generating a lot of free radicals. They do a lot of cellular damage. They create a lot of inflammation in the body. So if you've got a fast phase one conveyor belt, but all your phase two conveyor belts are sluggish because of poor diet intake, you get this buildup of toxic compounds at that central junction. And I think, I mean, people complain about detox symptoms, you know, headaches, skin issues, like flare-ups and gut issues. Part of that could be, you know, that their fast, for example, they might be doing a juice fast or a water fast, is compromising those conveyor belts. Yeah. And they're getting a buildup of toxic intermediates that can't be excreted from the body. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just another reason. And, you know, if you're doing that, you're going to feel tired and crappy and, you know, you're going to struggle to concentrate. You're going to have headaches and things like that. So it's just another, I guess I'm just trying to drive home again the importance of good nutrition from the foods that we're, we're eating rather than having 60% of our diets just being crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, once it goes through those phase two conveyor belts, it's still got to get out of the body in the urine and the feces. So if you're not drinking enough water, 
that's going to be compromised. If you're not eating enough fibre, that's going to be compromised as well. So what's the best way for people to know whether or not they've got a healthy liver? Again, skin issues. Uh, Drink 20 beers and see how fast you recover. <laughs> well, it's true. Like even um, <laughs> if people have like one of the signs of a, like a fast or a normal phase one and a sluggish phase two is sensitivity to chemicals. So if you react to perfumes and petrol fumes and things like that, that's highlighting that it's something not quite right with the balance between your phase one and phase two. Wow, okay. And people can have genetic variations that can contribute to that. Would it show up in a blood test? So blood tests look at liver enzymes and liver enzymes only become elevated in the blood if there's actually damage to the liver cells. So you can have these detoxification pathways are happening in your liver, but it may not show up in the form of elevated liver enzymes on a blood test. But if you if you suffer from regular headaches, hormonal issues and skin issues would probably be my top three or even an intolerance to medications or alcohol, I would absolutely be looking at liver function. And I'm such a huge supporter of liver health for overall health and wellness every day. And I'm healthy. You know, my blood tests are so healthy, but I take a liver supplement twice a day, every day. I take two different ones because I like to get a different combination of herbs doing different things. But lunch and dinner, always taking my liver supplements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In so, Chinese medicine, that's a very strict practice with liver. Like they continually huge. talk yeah. about hot or cold liver, isn't it, or something like that? Um, I'm actually not trained in traditional Chinese medicine. It's fascinating. But they talk about, you know, hot and cold foods and, you know, the yin and the yang and yep. dampness and heat and all of those things. But um, I'm not versed well enough to discuss any of that. Yeah, I know that in most dietary recommendations in Chinese medicine, they refer the liver quite a lot. They do. So if people want to support their liver, look for things like milk thistle or St. Mary's thistle has been shown in clinical trials to actually regenerate liver cells. Like it's amazing. But other herbs that are great, uh, dandelion root's huge. And things that support the liver and the gallbladder like globe artichoke, schizandra, burdock root's great for lymphatics and you know, moving toxins through the body. So again, if anyone wants specific recommendations, they can always message me and, and get some information. I think, you know, the whole time I've been talking, I'm, I'm picturing the average sort of dog trainer who is on the road a lot of the time, mm. moving around. That's mm. that's the thing. Uh, and so they eat like shit just because they eat on the go. And I know of myself as well, you know, I travel a lot and it can be really difficult to eat well when you're traveling because you just, you have access to what you have mm. access to. So what's your advice there? It is challenging, but everywhere where you can buy food, you can make a better choice. It mm. may not be the perfect choice. You know, I had a client just recently and- I said, okay, when you go to McDonald's, because I know you're going to go there, don't get the burgers and fries and the Coke, get the wrap and a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. When you go to the chicken shop, don't get the chicken and the fries, you know, just get the chicken. When you have a curry, you know, don't have the naan bread, just have the curry and a smaller portion of rice. Mm -hmm. Don't buy the soft drink or definitely don't buy the frozen Coke. <laughs> Delicious. Just buy water or buy kombucha or buy coconut water or just... There's probably a million other waters, health waters out there that I don't know to name. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can always make a better choice if you want to. It's amazing, you know, like when you walk through a shopping centre and you see food courts, like there'll be a place like a salad bar or something, which will usually have about three or four people milling around at lunchtime and you walk past McDonald's and it will be knee deep in people. Oh, the lines, The yeah. line, and it's usually young kids, you know, it will be five, six, seven, eight people stacked deep. 
and that's across the counter and and yeah, yeah. body width as well. And yet at a salad place, there's, you know, like two or three people milling around and to look, get food. So as you're saying before, people don't have the discipline to do it because the desire to eat the yummier food is there. And I mean, I'm guilty of that as well. Like food that I think and my brain thinks taste nice, you want to go for that. You know, and I, I mean, I'm one of the people that will walk past the salad bar to go to, you know, like a rib place or something like that where you've got some delicious roast meat or something like that as opposed oh. to a plate full of legumes. Yeah, and look, it's not about people have to go out and, and eat salad and drink water because, you know, we all know you don't make friends with, with salad. salad. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of salad. I don't find it satisfying at all. I love vegetables, but I don't love salad vegetables a lot. Like, they don't do it for me. So what about a juice bar? Let's say, for example, you're not keen on salads, but, you know, there's a lot of juice bars that are popping up at the moment that are doing green smoothies. What are your suggestions there? So juice bars can be great or they can be terrible. So if you're buying juice that's got a lot of fruit in it, that's going to work against you in terms of how you feel and, you know, you're going to crash later and feel, you know, more tired because of the high sugar content minus the fibre. So you're still going to get some nutrients, but in terms of that blood glucose regulation, it's going to sort of send things sort of haywire. So whenever I recommend people get juice, 95% 95% of that juice should be vegetable. They might be able to put one fruit in there if you need it for a little bit of sweetness, like, you know, one apple or whatever, a bit of pineapple. But, you know, it shouldn't be a fruit juice. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, bottled fruit juices from the supermarket, like no one should be drinking those, particularly not kids. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and look, it doesn't sound exciting, but trainers can, I mean, have their, their own water bottle branded that they carry around with them. Nuts and seeds aren't exciting, but they're easy to stash in yep. in your bag. And they're just a real, you know, healthy, sustaining sort of snack that's super healthy. It may not do it for people in terms of taste, but even a trail mix that's got a little bit of dried fruit combined with the, the protein in the nuts and seeds makes it more palatable and more enjoyable. And, you know, it's still easy to carry. In Australia, I'm sure they've got them in the States, roasted chickpeas are a great snack, great fiber source. And just being planning ahead, that's a, the thing you've, it takes practice to start planning your week in terms of what you're going to eat to really set yourself up for success, to feel the best that, you know, you can feel and, and function really well, you know, day to day. You've got to, that's what I'm saying. You've initially it, it's work. Yeah. You've got to make the conscious effort you know? to turn it into a habit. And then yeah. when it's a habit, it's easy. Yeah. Something I've been playing over the last sort of 12 months with travel diet. And I tell you, one of the big things is not drinking on an airplane. Like I, I do not drink on a plane anymore. Mm. It used to be, you know, like they bring out your meal and you have your, your like wine great or free whatever. Wine. Yeah, yeah, whatever you, you don't have. Feel, I, I've never felt good after I've had a no. few wines on a plane. You can't get me to drink on a plane anymore. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, the the because it's just something you do, they bring it to you and, and then, you know, when, it's, it's really from using this whoop, you, you can see the effect of alcohol on your recovery. And, mm. and, and when I'm flying, it's to work, right? So I want to arrive in the best possible shape that I can. So just keep. Drinking water. Yeah, and drinking heaps of water on the plane. Like yep. an annoying amount. Like mm. so I'm constantly getting up to go to the bathroom. Which is good anyway to be moving in circulation and things like that. Yeah, but yeah. so that – I mean that's a big thing. Uh, water and and planning meals ahead is – it's a, such a dick around, but it really makes a big difference. Mm. Even simple things like, you know, hard boiling like a carton of eggs to keep in the fridge. So, you know, if you need just a quick snack or just a – something quick to sort of sustain you for a little bit longer. You've just got an egg there ready to go. You don't have to do anything with it. Soups and stews and all those slow cooked sort of meals are easy to make in bulk and freeze. So they're ready to go. 
And the good thing about soups and stews is that they actually maintain the nutrient in the water as well. Yeah. I think quite some time ago, a colleague of mine used to tell me all the time, every time we're boiling vegetables, we're throwing out most of the nutrient in the water. Whereas if you're making soups and stews, it's retaining it within the water. Yeah. I mean, the act of cooking is always going to deplete some nutrients, but um, it's much better than throwing at them. Which is usually why an old remedy was chicken and vegetable soup. Yeah. For not feeling well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We haven't spoken about sleep and maybe that we won't worry about that today. I can provide some information on the Patreon website about sleep hygiene, and but that's fundamental to how we feel day to day and yeah. how we're functioning. And, you know, going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time, like seven days a week can really make a huge difference to how people feel. So, you know, people tend to sleep in on the weekends and things like that, but that can just throw out the body's rhythm. Those people don't have toddlers. <laughs> that's <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Or um, dogs. Yeah. That's right. What I'll also do is just to give people some ideas and some inspiration is, again, on the Patreon website. Last night I put together a little e-booklet of recipes, like healthy recipes that people, you know, it's got different smoothies and salads and soups and just main meals and a whole sort of different variety of meals. And there's another little book on if you do need something sweet in your life, some healthier sweet treats that you can make yeah, cool. at home. And that's going on Patreon, you said? Yeah, on Patreon. so... Yep, so that'll go on. Oh, cool. Yeah, I don't have my own Patreon. <laughs> I need to get on that. Yeah. So for the Canine Paradigm listeners who are part of Patreon, you'll have access to those recipe ebooks. Cool. Um, awesome. Just to give you some ideas. And, you know, even when you're looking at recipes, don't look at a recipe and go, oh, I don't like that one ingredient and put Completely it. Completely discard it. Yeah, you mm. know, everything's changeable. You know, change it to suit you. If you don't like a certain vegetable, change it to a different vegetable. All right. Yep. Any closing thoughts? Just for people this week, three things that you can do differently, you know, with your diet. That might be drink more water, have some protein for your breakfast and get to bed mm-hmm. <laughs> at a reasonable time if you don't have children. And what about if you're on the road? What would you suggest for people who are on the road regularly going out to dog shows or agility trials or trials in general and so forth? What would you recommend for them? Pack their own lunch, plan ahead. Ideally, you do pack your own. And it's so much easier these days with those U-foods and all those pre-packed like lunch, dinner meals. You know, there's nothing wrong with those. There's a lot of really healthy options in those pre-made meal categories now. And if you've got, you know, an esky or something that you can keep things cool when you're out on the road, they would be ideal. But again, it is just planning ahead. And some of those are delicious. Yeah. And so much healthier than nearly anything you're going to buy. Um, I find those things are actually good for portion control. Like, right, because it portion sort of reminds you like, oh, that's all I should eat. And you're like, oh, I could go four of those. <laughs> yeah. I probably shouldn't. I mean, and that's something we haven't even spoken about today, portion control, but it's part of why more people are now dying of obesity than starvation because we just have no concept of what is a healthy portion of food to eat these days. Yeah. Everything is supersized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a dietitian I saw many, many years ago before I met you when I was hardcore into training used to say to me, don't eat a steak bigger than the size of the palm of your hand. Mm. Because I was heavy duty into health and fitness, I actually went to see a dietitian to get practical advice and they said dinner plate sizes are monstrous compared to what you should be eating on a daily regular diet. Mm. So your meal should fit on a bread plate, not a dinner plate. Yeah. Yep. Okay, but we won't talk about portions. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's another <laughs> rabbit, sorry. Yep. If anything comes up, people have questions, just pop it on the discussion group. Yeah, and, discussion uh, group's the best way to get in contact. Yep. Yeah, so if it's about today's podcast, just post it on the Canine Paradigm discussion group. And tag Narelle. Definitely tag me because I'm not always on social media. Yep. 
If you want any direct health advice from me, naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au is my website and that's got all my contact details on it. And I've got my Facebook page, Natural Health and Nutrition, as well. Perfect. Which I think is linked. Is it linked at the bottom of your, you know, when you put an episode out and you've got all those people listed? Yep. (laughs) On our website, on our show notes, anybody that's been a guest on the show, they're usually on there or our regular supporters or our show sponsors. If you go into the show notes section on the website and just click on that, it will pop up with further information and you can find all the people that are relevant to our show. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. Hopefully our listeners got some, some stuff they can use out of that. And, you know, my two cents is, you know, I've been super fat and I've been super healthy. And while fat is a lot more fun, healthy feels a lot more better. Mm. So yep. it's worth the effort, I think, sometimes. Yep. All right, so just one other thing before we close up the show. We've got some seminars coming up. We're going to do a few combined and you've got one on your own. So do you want to go through the cities and dates of what you're doing? Yep. So on Saturday, the 14th of March and Sunday, the 15th of March, Glenn and I will be in Adelaide. Then we head up to Brisbane in April. So Saturday, the 4th and Sunday, the 5th of April. Then I'm doing my nutrition seminar by myself in Sydney on Sunday, the 24th of May. And then we're heading over to the US of A in September. So we'll be in Maine on Saturday. The Maine Dog Training Company, ladies. Yes, so really excited. So Mm -hmm. the 19th and 20th of September, we'll be in Maine. And then at the ISCP conference after that. And Pat, you've got like a shit ton of things happening this year. What's the best place for people to find out all about your... Uh, If you go to my website, they're all listed there. Operant Canine? OperantCanine.com.au. Coming events. There's a whole tab. Yep. So for the information relating to Glenn and my seminars, just jump on to my Facebook page or my website, naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. And the Canine Paradigm Discussion Group has a lot of links. Yeah. um, Most of what we're doing is... On the discussion group. Is on the discussion group. Yep. Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump onto Patreon. You can get access to the ebook that Narelle was just talking about, as well as an extra ed- educational episode that we put out once a month. And if you want to support the show as well, you could buy some merch, look cool while you support the show. From Teespring. Um, from Teespring. Mm. So jump onto there and search us up. If you want to get in contact with us, the best bet is to post in the discussion group or you could try shooting us an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. That's it. Glenn, music. <laughs> <laughs>